Who do you think voiced the yellow M&M? Mike Myers. Really good guess. Sinbad. That's also, that's also good. J.K. J.K. Simmons. I found that out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Old, 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 um, the, one of the best character actors in modern history. J.K. He's the, I am the yellow M&M. I'm, I'm not smart. You know who? Did you know that? You know who voiced the really, really sexy, sultry, green M&M? It was Meryl Meryl Streep, actually. She's an amazing actress. She can just do, she can do anything. I thought it Are was you uh, Kathleen Turner, but uh, I'll go with Meryl Streep. Uh, I, 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 she sounds like a, I, I imagine the green M&M being Catherine Zeta-Jones. I don't know why. And she just feels like the green M&M. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, re- it really does. I mean, <laughs> yeah. or the, or the, or the, uh, the, the, the mistress from Uncut Gems. Oh, um, something Fox. Is that, is that's her that's her name right yeah i was i, I was watching a vi- i'm sorry i was watching a youtube video and billy west the guy who does all those voice actor work uh he's the red m&m and he was just like do you guys know who the yellow m&m is it's jk simmons and i was like what <laughs> from what from oz <laughs> from whiplash that jk simmons yeah uh, yeah he's he's just like he's just like punishing the red m&m for not drumming properly I got my I did, I, did, yeah. I got my wires crossed when you said J.K. Simmons, and I thought J.K. Rowling, and I was like, the turf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not only no, is she a, a prolific author, but also a voiceover actor. She's the uh, she's the uh, she's the blue Eminem who's always just like, oh, I'm so worried. I'm so worried. Uh, someone's gonna call me a turf. Ah! What, what if the red M- <laughs> What if the red Eminem goes into my bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. You watch out. I'm the red M&M. You better. I'm I'm the rude one. Oh yeah, he was the rude one. And what what does the yellow M&M sound like? He sounds like Pooh oh, oh, Bear. Pooh Bear. I like. No, he's oh. like. Oh hey there. I'm the I'm the yellow M&M. I might be a little developmentally disabled. Who knows? I just uh, you know they're I doing, accidentally right. they're, fall into holes. They're doing yeah, a real yeah. they're doing a real George and Lenny sort of of mice and men. Yes. They really yes. have that. M- the, yeah. Yes, the yellow M&M is going to accidentally kill the green M&M because he loves her too much. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. <laughs> M&M's is literally just trying to recreate Of Mice and Men in its advertising yeah. slowly, very slowly. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Thank you for helping me uh, come to this realization. This is, be- this is beautiful. Uh, well, uh, welcome, to, welcome to Ponzi Scream, where everything is beautiful in Brooklyn. We're all happy here. How you guys doing today? Uh, it, it, I'm feeling great, man. Yeah, Brooklyn's <laughs> good. It's over. It's over. Uh, overcast, and uh, it's almost jacket weather. We're all going to be back inside soon, which is perfect. You know, you know that's not where coronavirus spreads more. You know how I know you're doing. You know how I know you're doing really well, Gabe. You're rubbing your temples and closing your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, I'm fucking. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah. It's- um, uh, I I have been fine. All I will say this: R.I.P. Uh, Caviar, the food delivery service that I was anonymously uh, working for. Every time I said, "Oh, I deliver food," it was through Caviar, 
And the reason I don't deliver through them anymore is because they got gobbled up by DoorDash. Whoa. That's right. DoorDash bought caviar. It happened actually almost a year ago and nothing happened for a long time. And then about three months ago, DoorDash was just like, I'm your father now. And now you get ready. It's us now. And uh, it went from being a okay place to deliver food uh, or an okay service to deliver food through to being bad. Uh, so now I'm on Uber Eats doing that. Now, can you say, did they treat their workers worse at uh, at DoorDash? What's the, why uh, do you think that it, there's like worse, is it worse quality for the consumer or for the uh, staff? Um, it is, I think, uh, caviar was good because they made eventually their system so that the, I think the tip was very, uh, uh, tipping people was very, forward facing so like three years ago it was not at all and then and like a quarter of people would tip it was crazy it was crazy um but then they switched things around and it was much more forward facing and it, it would make it so you could make a lot more but doordash i think it's not as much that plus they are also uh, they are going to restaurants and getting food from restaurants that you are not picking up on caviar. Like, um, uh, same with Uber Eats. Actually, they're they are both getting food from like fast food. And I'll tell. I mean, like I've I've I think I've mentioned it once or twice. Like I I, I railed against like the people who would order milkshakes yeah. off of caviar yeah. from like uh f from Shake Shack or whatever. Like, what are you doing? You know. But it didn't happen that often. It happened maybe like once a year or something like that. First day I did Uber Eats, I got three milkshakes in three separate orders. Huh. So it's just sort of like, yeah, it's just sort of like uh, like uh, off the chains, like the Wild West. You sure it wasn't I, like an Antifa thing? I wish I was delivering. I wish I was like, like, oh, this is a heavy milkshake. It has cement in it. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's just some. Uh, it's just a French tourist who's like holed up in an Airbnb. Who's like, I uh, would like a McFlurry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a yeah. Uh, I'm delivering from a, for a lot more fast food right now, which is like a mixed blessing because, dude, McDonald's that place is a factory. They get their shit done fast. You are not waiting for orders to be completed. That's but not you're true. Also, that's not true, dude. To, <laughs> no, 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 When I went to the McDonald's on the Lower East Side, they had all, it was completely automated except for one worker. And it took, I, I shit you not, it, it took 45 minutes to get a small fry and a medium Coke. No, wait, no, no, no. David, did you go to the Delancey Street McDonald's? Yeah, it's horrible. Just That's the worst McDonald's on all of planet Earth. Gabe, you have to know about like this McDonald's too. Like the it's like the West Village McDonald's and the Delancey Street McDonald's are basically like it's like that's where humanity begins.
Yeah, that's that's a uh, year zero. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> the the workers there are fish that have just started crawling out of the uh, primordial ooze, and it's a very it's very slow. Because it's there's a very one slow worker. start on land, guys. It's 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 not like primordial ooze. It's more like Adam and Eve because there's two people in two locations. Yeah. They just, they don't do they. It, um, um, and they all... made Eve out of a McRib. Oh. <laughs> yeah, oh. that's right. That it's back. Uh, no, yeah, no. That place, that place is like famous for like fights breaking out and shit like that, shit like that. You can't you can't expect anything. Don't expect more from the Delancey Street McDonald's. I would no, that's fight just one the... of those kiosks, man. I would fight one of those kiosks. I hate them. I hate the kiosks. <laughs> just the most inefficient. I, there's like four different numbering systems with those key kiosks things. It's like there's like one of them has like A through F, and the other one has like uh a th- like three numbers. There's no letters at all, and then another one is just webdings. Like there's no way of knowing what numbers are. And you can't know when your order is coming up. Anyways, welcome You're- to Ponzi Scream. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so we are here. We're talking about the Eco Yogi Slumlords of Brooklyn. Just the hottest story out of the cut that I've seen in a while. Uh, th- this first came up in Gothamist uh, earlier this year during the COVID pandemic, where there were some folks mm-hmm, that were mm-hmm. all being evicted. And some, uh, you know, tenants' rights organizations were just protesting outside of this house in Crown Heights. And I remember reading the article, and the author interviewed uh, one of the protesters, uh, uh, you know, kind of trying to support the people who are getting evicted. And it was this, <laughs> it was this Connecticut college professor who had biked all the way from another neighborhood to scream at the landlord for evicting these people in Crown Heights. And said, "You white liberal phony fake selfish motherfucker." <laughs> be- I love it. Yeah, you belong in a Dickens novel, which is just like um, an amazing quote. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and and it's I mean it's really amazing. The the cut did I think a great job of just finding that lead on a story from Gothamist, and then just digging so deep into how much just absolute corruption and insanity this this couple were running with with, with, and all with like the brooklyn aesthetic sort of stuff you know uh uh, weaponizing uh the new age and hipster aesthetic and uh and yoga language yeah yeah for Gabe, Gabe, yeah. Would it, you you found that you found this article, Gabe? Uh, did, would you <laughs> would you would you want to give like a, a a basic overview on like what these people uh, did? Because I remember, I think I remember when what David was saying when when COVID first broke out, there was like I saw like a thing on Twitter like, oh, looks like there was a protest in front of like a random apartment or something like that. You sure. Know? Well, you know, in New York, we've been fortunate enough to have a moratorium on evictions, but at the same time they haven't, uh, I think this was a huge fear, uh, in April and May and June, uh, because no one knew, uh, whether or not they would get evicted and, um, what, and fortunately a lot of people haven't yet. I mean, but it's going to come. That's like on the mm-hmm. horizon. However, uh, the reason this story stuck out was that 
it was a case where I think there were at least uh, eight residents in this one building who were being evicted by their landlords. And the, the, the idea, it's easier to put a face to these landlords because they're pretty small fry. They're, they're not a big um, uh, real estate company, you know? It's just yeah. a couple. And in and that I think that's what makes it fascinating is that they kind of their entire business model is putting on the face of uh, new Brooklyn white urban pioneers. Oh, yeah. You know, they yes, they fit all of the aesthetics, the aspirational aesthetics of sort of upper middle class bohemian Brooklyn life. Oh, yeah. And. And yoga the, and babies. Yoga yes. and babies. Yoga. <laughs> Area and yoga. Babies. Who I have a I have a I've sent this to some friends and they were some women who were like, yeah, we definitely went to an area yoga uh, class at least <laughs> once. People and, describe the area yoga in that neighborhood as ubiquitous as Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so w- when it comes to like these th- this couple I just have a, a quick anecdote. I used to work at a real estate company, and the real estate company, um, I was like the the, the bottom uh, tier agent, you know. And but the guy who was the face of the company wore a, a Slayer t shirt and a pentagram belt buckle, and no. he loved to, <laughs> he loved to skateboard out front no. of the no. uh, of the office, and no. he would hire like a bunch of full sleeve <laughs> tattooed dudes. And a really hot-looking model, like, you know, uh, the women and the men that work there all look like uh, Vice Magazine dues. Well, at least they're hot. That's good. Thank God. That's right. And they had very (laughs) – these were not people who who really, like, um, were up on real estate law or ethics. Uh, But it (laughs) – and there were, were of course, like, big um, multinational uh, backers behind this. But this guy was the face of the real estate company. And it, uh, there's a term I, li- I, I like called a Judas goat. And uh, a Judas mm. goat is goats would get shipwrecked on islands and they would eat everything on the island. And they're very hard to hunt because they can hide in nooks and crannies oh, yeah. in the mountains. Yep. yep. So what you do is you take a really hot goat and you put a tracking device on it. Oh, and then yeah. you send it off in, into the mountains. <laughs> and then it attracts all the other goats and creates a sex harem with them. And then you can uh, go kill all the goats. So, why did I bring that? <laughs> why did I bring that up, guys? Why? Yes, yes. Uh, I think that you you meet these people that kind of fit this bohemian aesthetic. This uh, asp- they 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 represent this aspirational fantasy of what life in Brooklyn is when they're really just scam artists, and it's ultimately for the service of capitalism or Absolutely. capital. And uh, mm-hmm. in, in the case of both the real estate agent and in the case of these two, this couple who turned out to be, you know, slumlords who use the language of um, the, the shared economy, Burning Man, gift economy language, um, yes. health language, uh, and, and sort of like a new agey um, spirituality. They used all that to extract money from people without um, proper... Uh, work, worker compensation or proper um, uh, protections for their tenants because this is a case where there's both yoga studios where they're exploiting people and also 
their housing situation where they're exploiting people. Yeah, no, these people, this is sort of like, this is sort of like um, orcs versus, versus Orukai in Lord of the Rings. Because, <laughs> hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. Because the orcs are like the classic hippie shitheads. Like, I used to live in a house of 10 people and it was filled with like your average hippies, you know, and what have you. And they were dumbasses and had, didn't have any kind of like, um, uh, knowledge when it came to just keeping their shit together, but they like were generally good meaning people. And they're just orcs. These people, they are the distilled evil, uh, of the Orokai, uh, manifested by like the, the, the white wizard that makes them, have the same aesthetic of that sort of like freewheeling lifestyle, but they have that sort of, uh, you know, like money know-how that just fucks over so many people in their general vicinity. You know, I'm looking at the pictures of them right now in, in the, in the article and you know, the guy, the dude is just like, he's like, he kind of actually looks like Jerry Falwell Jr. (laughs) If he was like uh, a slimmer, (laughs) which is kind of funny. Uh, Brooklyn and, Jerry Falwell. Uh, yeah, he he absolutely looks like Brooklyn Jerry Falwell Jr. If his head was like half the width, you know, and the the woman uh is just sort of like you know this sort of like her face is very just sort of like at ease and like ah, I am at so I am so at center with myself. I'm not gonna you know? lie, and I think I, I'm not gonna lie. I think they're both hot. Um, I I think I think they're. What do you guys think? I think they're mild. I think they're mildly good looking for 47 year olds. Yeah. Like, (laughs) AKA AKA incredibly hot for 47 year olds. No, 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 no. Okay. I want to just go over into their background really quick. Okay. So, Gennaro Brooks Church is from like the suburbs of Chicago. Oh, no, sorry. Loretta Genville, the woman, is from the suburbs of Chicago. But Gennaro Brooks Church, also, Loretta Genville is not a licensed yoga instructor. Important to keep in mind. Then, no, no. Gennaro Brooks Church is from the island, resort island of Ibiza, okay? He's the son of outlaw parents. Hippies <clears throat> hunted by the feds for two anti-war bombings in the 1980s until his mother turned himself in and his father reportedly got caught in Arkansas trying to pick up $6 million in cocaine. Yeah, you um, got to shoot your shot. You got to shoot your shot. <laughs> uh, and here's the thing about that. Like, his parents sound pretty cool, but they yeah. also sound like the libertarian brand of cool. Um, they are Hans. They could be Han Solo and Leia, and he's their Kylo Ren. You know, he's... Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He, right. Also, they, he also reminds me of uh, his back... You know, his parents are cool. It reminds me of uh, several politicians we know that were recently running for office, or so, are, mm-hmm. some still are. Who had yep. cool parents and ended up being um, con men? They all become all these like sons of like children of Marxists and end up becoming total capitalists. So Brooks Church ends oh, up I becoming know. an adherent of something called human design, a pseudoscience combining astrology and chakras, which was created on <laughs> Ibiza in 1992 by an advertising executive who claimed to receive messages on the meaning of life from an entity called The Voice. I mean, we're going to get into this later, but this just sounds like a religion that is straight up a multi-level marketing scheme. If it, it, well, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It, yeah, it sounds like it sounds like uh, Mormonism. Like he got the he got the golden plates, and he's just like, yeah, the he was voice an told me this. Advertising <laughs> executive, like at least Joseph Smith yeah. had the dignity of calling himself a preacher. You know, like just it's <laughs> absurd. And, and Ibiza is also like it's the Jersey Shore and uh, and like the meatpacking district mashed together with Burning Man vibes, and everybody speaks Spanish. So oh he God. he grew up on a party island. Oh, this is nice. so, that's so crazy. Um, okay, so another fun thing about uh, about this man and about Brooks Church is that in 2011 he tried to build a literal man cave under his front yard. <laughs> Just he's I love one that. of those guys. Yeah, he's one of those guys. <laughs> he's like he's like I go in the yard. I practice my beast genetics, which is. Uh, <laughs> A high impact uh, workout routine that uh, where I just use my muscles and act like I'm a prime. I'm a primate. I'm on keto, and yeah. uh, and he's yeah. got a man cave. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. The, it was shut yeah, down by the, the Department of Buildings, by the way, which is funny. Uh, Sick. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I just love the idea of a guy coming in a reflective jacket, just like. Uh, j- j- just like city worker for 35 years, like, I'm sorry, sir, but your man cave is not up to cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, gold, your golden throne with 70s Playboy images is just not up to our standards. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, uh, we got reports that you were uh, drying meat in here. You were trying to cure, cure your own deer meat in here, bro. <laughs> That's a just health because, code violation. Just because the hunting rifle is in the man cave doesn't mean you can't have a hunting rifle in Brooklyn. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, so he. Uh, so I mean, the the. It's amazing the like aesthetic that they had, right? So they had a daughter named Saomi, two sons named Casimir and Zapata. They. Ah! Yeah. Well, they were. Uh, he's Spanish, so I think he gets a little bit of a pass. Um, yeah. They, that just ugh. means shoe. His son's name is uh, just Shu. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I I know. I just Lady Shu. Uh, yeah, Lady. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's yeah, yeah. He's a female shoe. And so, but there's like there's a, they had a profile in Brooklyner, which is a you know uh, whatever. Anyway, so there's this quote from the the Brooklyner profile of them from 2013. In the kitchen, light streamed in through floor to ceiling windows as his girlfriend, a baby in her arms cooked up some eggs on a stainless steel range. Their other two children Ugh. ran around the townhouse on floors made of salvaged wood. I mean, we know Oh my god. We know this. We've seen this on our Instagrams. We have been inundated with this dream and this posture of the of the like kind of like white millennial Brooklyn aesthetic. Um you, I mean they're they're Gen Xers, but same difference. And in the meantime, what they're doing to fund all of this stuff is hustling and bankrupting and over leveraging their debts like they're a Trump organization. I mean, that, that's the easiest comparison that I can think of is that Trump mm-hmm. in the 90s, and I, I don't mean to compare everything to Trump, but like Trump in the 90s was completely over leveraged. All he was doing was going into debt, and the only way that he would get out of debt is by trying to start a new endeavor. You know why he had an airline, why he had a stake, why he had a water, why he had multiple resorts? I mean, because he was just, he was addicted to it, um, to starting new things. And as a result, but also as a result, needed to pay back his former things. And so it just, uh, it created this negative feedback loop uh, that was incredibly, incredibly risky. And it is, for people like that, 
as soon as there is a single blip, a single change in the market, they'll just completely go under. And when people go under, that's when you start to see all the horrible shit that they were doing to get to where they were in the first place. It's uh, their house. Yeah, their house of tarot cards collapsed. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm just, I, I just look at it and uh, what you were saying, uh, David, uh, just about like the cult, the cultural aesthetic of it. Like, I, I remember, I remember this so clearly, and I guess it's weird because I guess it technically was like seven or eight years ago, but like, God damn it, that was so idealized, just even less than a decade ago, and it, it, it's like you you look at it and you you think like there's something wrong here there's something wrong with this picture like it it doesn't feel right and then just like you say there's like a tiny 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 little pinprick in the veneer and it's just nothing it's a it's a total it's a facade you know right i mean and also like aesthetically i i think that minimalism can be like really oppressive you know like ornaments and decoration and whimsy are all nice things. And the the late aughts, early teens aesthetic of this, you know, salvaged wood, stainless steel range stuff is just, it, it's really bad. And I don't know, it, it, in some ways the medium becomes the message. It, it shows just how oppressive it is aesthetically, which in, in this specific situation ended up being actually economically oppressive against their employees yeah. and their tenants. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and in some ways, the employees were tenants. I mean, there, there were situations where, like, they had... Uh, first off, a lot of their employees were independent contractors, but they... Oh, yeah. Um, or they were, like, work-study students who would clean the yoga studios unpaid during karma hours in exchange... I know! ...in exchange for classes. And employees did double duties as receptionists. Um, there were situations where you would get a kickback or you would get some sort of benefit. Uh, like Brooks Church would offer uh, workers free yoga classes in exchange for a day of labor in his building business or free classes to guests when the couple began renting out their Carroll Gardens brownstones on Airbnb for $200 a night. So you just end up becoming a either a customer and a tenant or you end up becoming a tenant and a worker or a student and a worker and a tenant like all at once. And they're just kind of exploiting everyone and raking everything in to do another endeavor. Sorry, uh, uh, Siren, one sec. Full of exciting things in my apartment today. Yeah. So, so the whole thing was just, they were, they were just, uh, just kind of like putting people through the meat grinder of yeah, this whole system. What, uh, David, one thing that this makes me think about is like, you know, on Street Fight Radio, they always talked about like petty, uh, the tyranny of uh, small business owners. And with mm-hmm. these guys, one thing I notice is the sort of the blurring of all boundaries seems to be something that, um, that, uh, modern like predatory business owners use. Right, they blur the boundaries where it's like, are you my tenant? Are you my friend? Are you my apprentice? Are you an yes. independent contractor? Totally. So you're never you're everything other than an employee. And they had they they there's also fits into this like sort of Silicon Valley uh, aesthetic of l- life hacking, and also yeah. Uh, yeah. 
and and also this hustler mentality of like, well, what corners can I cut? Right. We're totally. doing something new and innovative by being disruptive, which really just means undermining all uh, safe business practices that protect uh, employees from employers. Like they called uh, they called uh, uh, the the woman Gendeville the queen of loopholes. Like she would always <laughs> cool, you know. They, it, it so it's like oh it's cool she's innovative she's finding ways to cut corners and like find solutions and workarounds but it's like no you're just not doing things the right way yeah yeah it, yeah it's uh it, it's crazy too because the, they really are on, or on the bleeding edge of doing this stuff for the first time like we you you mentioned David that they were like they delineated a lot of their workers as independent contractors. But even as like, you know, short as 2012, 2013, that wasn't a thing yet. Like, you know, there was no Uber, Uber eats. There was no caviar. There was no, n- none of this stuff. So for them to be like, Oh, wait a minute. I found this delineation where I actually don't have to pay people like living wages necessarily. Like, like they were really ahead of the game. Well, it is a little common, more common. It didn't make as much headlines, but like it's very, it's actually common in some, in like really strange entertainment sectors, like in the WWE, for example. All of them are technically independent contractors. All of the wrestlers are. Really? Yeah, but they, but they can't. But at the same time, they have also an exclusion clause in their contract, which means that they can't work or appear on other wrestling programs, which is just. That is the definition of an employee is that an employee yeah. works just for you. You control the ways in which an employee operates. That is how an employee works. And yeah, so they just, uh, I mean, say what you will about the Uber people, but Uber drivers can be Uber, Lyft, Juno, uh, get, and what, you know, any other mm-hmm. one all at the same time. And if they wanted to get the weird, you know, taxi medallion, they could do that as well. I've seen, I've seen taxis who are, who are registered as both. And that is somewhat closer because the idea is that you can work for multiple companies at once. But these people, did they even have an opportunity to work at different yoga studios at once? I'm not even really, really sure. I, I don't even think they did. But that was that. That's the funny part is is that like they weren't concerned with non exclusivity because they were just, you know, like chopping and screwing the un the unpaid internship <laughs> on these yeah. people so it's so they're not it's not like they're like we can't use your labor you, you got to work for us it's more it's more just like yeah we'll we'll give you this free reiki lesson uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and i'm well i'm just skeptical of anybody that uses these they they're weaponizing this sort of already exploitative uh practice that i i call w- when a job is mission driven uh yes. then like you you see this in nonprofits where because the nonprofit has a good vision um or mission statement it ex- it it uh finds a way to justify paying people less and it makes you feel guilty when you're not doing the work or the same thing with education with teaching it's always easy to tell teachers that that you can pay them that they shouldn't be paid as much because they're doing it for the kids, right? Like, why would you go on strike? It's for the kids, right? And it's like it's yeah, like it's like yeah, you, it's yeah. like the idea that 
you enjoying your job and getting paid a living wage are zero-sum, mutually exclusive things. And, and that you're yeah. punished for liking your job. And and with these, so it's more just like it. It's emotionally exploitative. It's almost like uh, they 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 not only have your body, but they're trying to take your mind as well um, yeah. by guilting you <laughs> yeah. into feeling bad if you ask for more. So this couple, they 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 um, created this aesthetic around themselves that hey, we're artists, we're your friends, uh, and we have um, someone here quoted saying, "I thought they were like a peace love." peace love and happiness types they were artists so yeah you know their employees see them as like oh these are gurus they're not like employees you're willing yeah, to do I mean, more for a religious figure than you are for your for someone who's just like your boss at staples yoga on the outside pure capitalism on the inside as one oh, yeah. area yoga employee puts it so and then behind the scenes Genville and Brooks Church were exploiting the city's growing underclass for a short-term, reliable cash flow. Employees working without benefits and tenants paying up to $1,000 each for a single room in an illegal conversion. By this year, it appears the landlords are pulling in nearly $10,000 a month at Dean Street alone. So all of this is just funded on the blood, sweat, and tears of your growing underclass. Like, for them, and this is what a slumlord really does, is that they will use the high needs of their poor tenants as collateral almost to continue to take out higher risk uh, real estate endeavors. Like if, if you are a slumlord, you don't give a crap about rats, the floors caving in, the heat turning off, the gas turning off, uh, you know, just any sort like any other sort of problem. The fact that there were like uh, nine people in a one bedroom uh, zoned, apartment this sort of stuff you can just do and because of the scarcity and insecurity uh the scarcity of the housing and the insecurity of your tenants you can lean on them and you you can lean on them and that is actually a safe form of income that you can use to open up your area yoga uh that this what this is the funniest line uh for me for me it, because like you were saying they they had the these illegally um zoned sort of like uh uh properties that shouldn't have had as many rooms in it and this this one quote is just says uh Gendeville and Brooks Church weren't registered as landlords of the Department of Housing Preservation and Development instead they posted signs on their rental properties that warned all caps do not let anyone from the city in. No exceptions. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, <hell. laughs> which is which is so funny. And then it goes on later to say, over the past two years, uh, Gendeville had racked up over fifty thousand dollars in unpaid fines from host from a host of violations at twelve fourteen Dean Street. Wow. Oh yeah, and uh, Brooks Church himself lied about being a licensed real estate broker. Right, so oh. she was she wasn't yoga certified, and he wasn't a licensed real estate broker. Yeah, just yeah. just amazing fraud. Oh, amazing uh, fraud. Uh, one anecdote I like is that when tenants demanded Brooke Church take uh, care of the rat situation at one of the buildings, he warned them: the walls are full of rat skeletons; their souls will <laughs> haunt you. <laughs> I mean, and it's funny because it's like he's not. 
He's not necessarily wrong. It's like, look, I like I I remember one uh, somebody came to I got like a, a piece of mail, uh, a letter in the mail, and it was just one of those standard like, oh, you know, make sure you have like a, a mesh screen on your window things uh, and whatever. And but it listed some of the details about my building. My building is a hundred years old. Oh, it yeah. was made in night. It was made in nineteen twenty. So when these people say there's a cemetery of vermin skeletons in the walls they're not necessarily wrong but it doesn't make it right that they're not doing anything about it <laughs> i mean what's amazing is that any building that's called calls itself pre-war is going to be 100 years old in tw like very yeah. very soon so a pre-war building is a century old building um but yeah it's uh they did some good stuff and, and they would mess up and they would totally screw over their employees too uh, so by 2017, uh, just as retail spending was beginning to dip in the face of online shopping, Genville had 14 area stores in the wealthiest neighborhoods in Brooklyn. And this is one teacher. 14. This is one teacher. She said, our eyes would just get bugged when we'd hear she was taking on another lease. We'd go, oh, my God, why doesn't she just get us toilet paper? <laughs> <laughs> and Insane. uh I you know, you brought up Trump earlier, and I think that there is something um, there is something that if you have common sense, you see these people's behavior and you go, this is unsustainable. But then there's something about our sort of uh, ideology around the, the businessman or the hustler that, well, they must be, it's also attractive to hear that somebody's got a bunch of projects they're working on that are slightly mysterious and you're like, mm -hmm. it's so crazy. It might just work. Like that um, yeah. maybe her talking a big game about, I'm opening up a bunch of, of other places. Trust me. This is just, this is when we're tightening our belts. But the big yep. payoff is just around the corner, guys. Follow me. Yeah. It's, it's one of those uh, fortune favors the bold sort of. Right. Fault, yeah. You know, kind, of, kind of like, you know, false altruisms. Yeah, I mean, this is really... And, and so then, the funniest thing is just they get so bold that they start cheating on each other, and... Uh, yeah! Uh, yeah, get, they're just get, bad people, yeah, too. Yeah, Genville just starts <laughs> uh, cheating on a guy on her children's... with her children's Manny. Uh, so, basically, this guy named Shepard Lance, which I think we should all just, like, pause on that name and just, like, reflect on who a man named Shepard Lance is. He is, calls himself a carpenter, a pet sitter, a waiter, and a handyman. He had modeled in a portfolio of erotic photography. He had been there to Burning is. Man. He My had man. been to Burning Man. My man, that's oh, the that was that was the the. So, my, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So she go go on go on. So she so her and Shepard Lance start this affair. They're being they're getting caught spending the night in a yoga studio. Uh, like all the time, they have to cancel these classes for a few times because uh, one they wanted to do a personal ayahuasca ceremony. Uh, in February 2017, oh. she and Lance were arrested at the Gowanus Whole Foods for shoplifting $1,150 worth of items. The charges were eventually dropped. Uh, how do you steal $1,200 worth of Whole Foods stuff? You got to fill a cart with just like the nicest bacon you possibly can. Yeah. A lot of jamón ibérico. That's what I'm thinking. Big, <laughs> big old legs of Spanish ham. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, part of me does wonder, like, because there were times where the article cites that they were actually homeless themselves because they were renting out every other property that they owned, which is really insane to me and really points to the fact that this might just be a disease for these people. Right, like they do they need yeah. do they need to steal eleven hundred and fifty dollars from Whole Foods? No. Did they want to do it anyways because they wanted to see who they could screw over? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Almost certainly. Almost <laughs> certainly. And after that happens, they divorce, and Brooks Church uh, begins renting an apartment on Court Street, which he appointed with thirty thousand dollars in living walls. Uh, if you guys, you know what a, li- a living wall is? Isn't that just a wall with a bunch of plants on it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just some plants. On- it's vertical plants. And he told, there was an article in the Times, and he said, uh, my sex appeal has definitely increased. I'm on social dating apps. They love my living walls, baby. Ew. <laughs> Dude. No, it's he just he just made those so he could literally do the Homer Simpson meme where he's just like backing into the bushes. Like. <laughs> <laughs> he just loves getting hit in his living walls. And yeah, I mean I mean just in the same time that this is happening, Genville was charged seventeen thousand dollars in penalties for renting out rooms at their building in Flatbush uh, for illegal transient use. I mean, it just it, it keeps going. It, it's really an amazing article because they just keep on hustling and yeah there's like the, a the cbd business of it. yeah yeah <laughs> um but you know david when you talk one thing that I, I think about is like um these individuals who are doing this they are bad as people with their own ethics but there are also uh economic and social conditions that allowed for them to exist Right. That uh, created a space for this. And that's kind of what, what hit me was that they talked about the financial crisis, I think, of 2008 and how it really hit all of these black and brown neighborhoods in Brooklyn really hard. But the neighborhood where they were, the sort of um, up-and-coming uh, white neighborhood they were in, actually thrived at this exact moment, which created True. a space yeah. for them to sort of uh, mushroom out their different uh, business endeavors to cater to this, like, affluent white um, community, right, with yoga and babies. Yeah. So what is it about? I, I mean, that's and, – and then uh, and the idea of, like, not looking at housing as, uh, you know, as giving um, security to people but sort of incentivizing using housing as like a financing tool. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely. I mean, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. There's, they really kind of exploited the housing crisis and the, and the gentrification bubble that really did come from that neighborhood, right? Like it came from the Park Slope. That, that, it's, no, it's not a coincidence that all of Brooklyn looks like Park Slope now. And it, it, or, you know, kind of, or Williamsburg, which I, I don't know if William, how Williamsburg fared in the crisis, but apparently that neighborhood just did very, very well. And then they just used housing and used gentrification as a financing tool to keep it all going. 
And the people mm-hmm. furthest out on the furthest rungs were the ones who were being exploited the most. They were the ones who were hit hardest by the slumlord behavior. And that is kind of, it, it, it does sum up how the system of you know real estate capitalism and just capitalism in general rewards this sort of behavior. And while these people, they're, they're, like my, uh, this is kind of cheesy, but like my grandpa used to say this thing was like, you know, it's good to like lock up your stuff because it's not that a lock is going to prevent a thief from getting in. It's just to keep good people honest. And capitalism huh. is like keeping your bike unlocked. It allows for people to, it allows for good people to be incentivized to be dishonest. And yeah. that is exact. like these people, I mean, I think they sound like scam artists themselves, but in general, when there is a system that rewards and makes it so much easier to be one, everyone's inner demons, everyone's Brooks Church and Gendville comes out in this system. Yeah. Uh, and maybe when I read this, I kept thinking about the, the guys who ran WeWork. The, yeah. the couple who yeah, ran they, WeWork. Uh, and I feel like they, they, they could, you could have uh, these, those two couples go on a double date. And they'd have a lot to talk about. <laughs> I'd love to oh, go. Yeah, double, d- I'd love to go. I'd love to be some, you know, go on a double date with these people. Would you oh, like no, to join they, their polycule? Yeah, yeah, dude. They'd be they'd be sucking and fucking each other after eating a bunch of hummus or something like I'd go, that. You I'd, know, go, like I'd the, go Dutch on the meal and I'd wear a condom. But I mean, they're hot. <laughs> they're not attractive. They're like sun beaten and and like. You could tell that this that you could tell this lady is using essential oils instead of going to the doctor. <laughs> like you could tell, this, is a, this is not a this is not good. Well, you could you could not it's not good. Danny, uh, you brought up a really good point at the end of this. Uh, of course, they're um, they don't like traditional medicine, uh, and we see that here with yes. Uh, Bro- <laughs> yes. Brooks Church is participating in a UK based online discussion called Corona Talks. Uh, in which he dis- he's described as outs- uh, outspoken against the civil liberty issues of the lockdown. And he started a new company called Elixir Works, which offers a delicious and powerful immune booster containing everything from Jeez. bee pollen to tree lichen. Uh, uh, monthly, <laughs> for a monthly subscription, baby. Just thirty-seven fifty 30, a week. Thirty-seven fifty a week. Oh that, my god! Oh my god! And also, no. hey man. Also, he said he declined to, to comment for the story, and he said to the to the New York Post that he is being targeted as a white man. It, it's just that's the best part. <laughs> it, it is so incredibly annoying how much these people are just displacing pure capitalist exploitation, and then calling themselves like using identity politics as a cudgel against what is overwhelmingly economic exploitation like it, it, it this happens a lot it doesn't happen all the time obviously like these sorts of issues are real like discrimination and whatever is, is real but like this man is clearly not it is not about the fact that he's a white man it is about no. like, the fact that it is not at all about that and he the fact that he would so callously pivot like that 
is uh, it, it's just one of the most frustrating things about this era because it happens all the time, all the time. And you see it on Fox News, um, especially is just like people will be like, hey, this system is terrible. And then Tucker Carlson will go on and say, why are they why do they hate white Christian families? and it's like a real white christian family would burn these two at the stake for being witches and warlocks yeah (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely yeah no you what you said david the pivot the pivot is what is almost most jarring there's this one quote here about one of the people who uh stayed at their 1214 dean street location who uh I believe was oh yeah that's right they had they were recovering from emer- an emergency craniotomy to remove a massive brain tumors. Um, she had brain surgery, insane. She had she had brain surgery. So this was a tenant of them, yeah, and she yeah. emailed G- Genville uh, begging for a move out date of August fifteenth, which I imagine would have been uh, later than she was uh, originally supposed to, and it said. I'm under the most stress I have been in my life. I hope you can empathize with my situation. I'm sorry this year has happened to anyone. And Gendeville just wrote back, I don't know who you are. Who is this? <laughs> God, fucking damn it. The pivot, the pivot. The pivot from being one of those sort of like starry-eyed, soft-smiled, kind of like hippie types, just sort of like, to just being like, who are you? You, uh, you know, new phone. Who this? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The the uh, it's just it's just it it'll it would juke out fucking uh, Damian Lillard. Just the amount of just like yeah, you know that that yeah. they're that they're doing. And after the and the, some of the other people in the housing uh, on Dean Street in Crown Heights were like queer people of color, and who are generally usually the most oppressive people on earth, right? I mean, just. It, it, throughout history, they have been conquerors. You know, Alexander the Great was a woman of color. Genghis Khan had Genghis Khan. The saddle he rode on was a rainbow flag. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is what happened: was uh, basically Martinez uh, found another rental in Flatbush. So she wa- one day she walked past uh, Genville's most recent endeavor, a cafe called Planted Community Cafe. Uh, Genville was sitting under a rainbow pride flag flag and waved at her manically and maniacally maniacally manically manic pixie dream girly yes it's uh you know this case is um it's unique in a way because even though there are foul you know like um a lot of other evictions that are maybe have like similar a similar taste or feel to it it's um you know, it, it's it's good to see in a in a way just like that raw capitalism just sort of like actually just um completely blaze through these people in real time. Because, you know, like well, you know, the stock market as it is currently, it's like it's going up. Like Apple and um Tesla, they just split their stocks. They're making more money than ever, you know. Uh but these people they they're not at that level they're not that high up and when you know coronavirus happened and just actually started affecting people they were not left unscathed and you got to see this this teeny little pyramid just like slowly just crumble and and the result of that is just like 
two glassy-eyed psychos just in front of a pride flag, like, ah, you know? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's at the same time incredibly frustrating, but also a little bit liberating, you know? Uh, Judas goats, baby. Watch out for people that come, uh, <laughs> with smiles on their faces and, uh, brand, brand new innovative and disruptive ideas and try to enroll you into free labor, um, under the promise of, of peace, love, and community. Yeah. I, Gabe, I don't know if, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I would say like one of the first times that, um, we hung out and this probably was like five years ago, actually. 15 years was, ago. Yeah, it was, uh, when, uh, uh, you were still doing real estate stuff. And I remember you said that like New York real estate is sort of like, it's like about sort of like fitting into the cracks. It's like one of those things where you can, it, it's like you could live here, you can make it work, but you know you kind of just have to be flexible and just not ask for too much and not try to demand too much, you know. And uh, and uh, like it, I, I remember you said something to the effect of like if you're just like a if you're like a single mother, you know, who wants to live on the first floor, uh, with a washer and dryer and uh, you know, accessibility to the apartment. That's not going to happen necessarily. But if you're like a dude with a bag, you, like you can, you could, you could fit in there, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, uh, but like these people, I feel like they, they tried to sort of almost in a way to sort of take, they're the kind of people who are in, in a way bleeding New York dry because they're just taking and taking and taking and taking, you know, <laughs> and making it just so much more inaccessible for everybody else, you know, just for, and for what, <laughs> for what? So they can have a shitty studio where they fuck on the floor and make the yoga studio smell worse than it already would. Yeah. Like who cares? Yeah. <laughs> it's also, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's why everyone's so skinny in New York. Cause they're squeezing through these cracks all the time, you know? And, and it's also part of the reason like why having a family is like almost seen as a luxury in New York city. And yeah. I don't know if you guys have been listening to Nice White Parents, but it uh, that podcast that the New York Times is putting out. But it's just like talks about how wealthy parents in public schools have just overwhelming influence in how a school is run, essentially, and perpetuating segregation. And when you have it where it is so financially challenging to even have a family that and, and in order to get to that situation of financial stability, you need to hustle so hard to be able to afford to have a family to be that wealthy it is almost unsurprising that the that these wealthy parents are just the most vulturous vicious pta moms and dads on earth just yeah well you stop worrying about the commons and you and you only worry about your tribe your blood your direct descendants because that's what got you there yeah yeah you have to become cersei lannister to uh <laughs> yeah you know to keep your brood alive and it, it, this is a this is a little bit of a tangent but i had a very unique situation because i was both renting apartments at the same time that i was working as a teaching artist so i was in greenpoint and i was um going into this school and i was uh observing classes at the school and the school had a dual language program it had a french one of the classes was french Right. Oh, yeah. And the rest oh, of the yeah. school was all just normal gen ed. And at the same time, I had a woman who was a client with kids and she wanted to, she was desperate to live within 
the school district so that she could send her kid to that school so they could go to that French program. Now, hmm. I because I had been in that school already, all I observed that the gen ed kids had teachers that had 30 years experience, loving teachers, great teachers. The classes were filled with Polish, Russian, Puerto Rican, black, just every, all the kids, and they were all sweet. The one French class uh, had a teacher whose only reason that she was in there was that she also knew French. She was like a second-year teacher, soft, didn't know anything. But all of these rich parents wanted their kids in that class, and that classroom was full of sociopaths. Like little little kids, little kids named Etienne or whatever, just like breaking desks and like sitting under desks and like just shitting in corners. And and it was like, (laughs) but on paper, that class is what raises the real estate value in the neighborhood. On paper, that class is the one that raises the um, the uh, desirability of that school. And it's like all of these white entitled parents are are uh, running after the wrong brass ring. The thing that they think is valuable is actually a worse experience for their children. Totally. Like if I Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> that that's so yeah, and it and even on its face it's so hilarious too cuz it's like what are you talking about you have a French immersion class when the most utilitarian <laughs> language you could possibly speak in New York City is Spanish. Just it's like if you could speak Spanish, you could speak with so many people here. But you've instead decided to be like, no, I'm gonna teach my child French. So they can talk to the million dollar suit designers in Williamsburg. Like <laughs> what? French? What are you talking about? I, I, I talk. I talk about this with my girlfriend, who um, whose father is French, and she has a French name. French to Americans equals money. That's all it is. Yeah. The French language, yeah. French culture equals money. We don't. Ex- are we are not exposed to just you know middle class, lower class French culture. All of our French culture is is expensive cheese expensive wine, expensive perfume. It is just the upper crust. And so when people, so people often, instead, of, they don't want to talk about how rich they are. They'll talk about how much they like French culture. And that is so endemic to New York City. And actually, if you guys listen to that podcast, the, the Nice White Parents one, they talk about French language. The French language program is also used as an economic overlay as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... But uh, but it's nonsense, and and you know, buyer beware. Like even wealthy people are getting um bamboozled by what they're being um off uh, on what's being offered to them. Well, they're being like bamboozled that- only to the extent that they actually care about learning French. They care about getting the commodity of going to a French school, and in that se- yeah. in that sense, they are not being bamboozled. They are being economically rewarded. But the product is fraudulent. It's crap. But they don't, it doesn't matter to them because it has the same currency as it would otherwise. But they don't care about the actual thing itself. Right. Yeah, that, 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 vi- that visual is so funny because, of course, you've got, like you said, you've got these 30-year, like, <laughs> Greenpoint teachers who are probably just like a hard, they're like hard-nosed Polish 
Polish-Americans who can wrangle a child in seconds flat, and then you've <laughs> oh, they're <laughs> you sweet. The second, you, yeah, they're great, yeah. dude. And, yeah, and yeah. I would I would have loved to be in those classes as a kid and lear, learn yeah, a little, yeah. learn Russian and Polish curse words. Yeah, what's actually fl- useful in New York City is <laughs> is Spanish, Arabic, you know, Chinese, and yeah. if you're in Greenpoint, Russian and Polish. And the Polish, yeah. <laughs> it would have it would have made more they it would have made more sense to have somebody teaching the weird dark arts of Polish just ha- <laughs> over yeah. over French. Just have a language immersion program that exists for the community itself. Like if it's an Arabic community, just have one class a day that's taught in Arabic. That way, all the non-Arabic kids get to learn Arabic as well. And that's right. Yeah, I mean, and, and that'll get you into NYU Abu Dhabi really easily <laughs> or whatever, you know? I mean, if you need some cultural currency, some economic currency, which is just so frustrating, um, maybe that'll help. Um, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teach teach Polish show at the very... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah you're yeah, right, yeah. Gabe. <laughs> uh, teach... Teach Polish show at the very least you can hear what all the five-foot-one old ladies pushing carts are talking shit about, you know, like... Exactly. Ugh, I don't know. They, that, that way you know yeah. what their insults are. Um, so one last thing that I, uh, I think we should talk about really quick, because it's not really like a crime, but it very much relates to the theme of kind of, you know, pseudo-liberalism or, you know, the aesthetics of, you know, hippie culture or counterculture in the... Uh, but 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 wrapped up in being performed by these sorts of just ghoulish capitalists, and that is Peter Thiel is starting a mushrooms company, <laughs> and I don't mean tr- I mean shrooms. Like he's starting a psychos like a psilocybin 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 um, company that will treat depression. Okay, it has already raised one hundred million dollars, and his. Um, the food FDA gave it, uh, in 2018, the U S FDA gave it breakthrough therapy status, uh, expediting the development process. Most recent funding rounds suggest a value of more than $500 million. Okay. Um, how, how is that? How is that illegal? What is he doing it out of Malta? Like, is it, is it like, uh, is that where the LLC is? Like, what the fuck? How is that possible? Um, it is, it's a, it's London based. So a tiny okay. a, a tiny little city called London, and <laughs> it, it's founded by um, a few other folks, and he's getting uh, a, some initial funding from this German entrepreneur named Anger Mayer. Okay, that's a little ridiculous. Uh, nice. And but so, what is amazing about this? So, two things: one, synthetic doses of 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 hallucinogen psilocybin uh, were tested as an antidepressant in the sixties before Nixon banned its use. And that probably goes to show that maybe he was having some internal dispute with the CIA, who was probably trying to use it to melt people's minds and use it as a weapon of war. And Richard Nixon uh, maybe cut that off. I don't know. I don't know why, what, what, why that little detail exists, but Richard Nixon, Richard Nixon hated drugs. He did not like having fun. <laughs> he, did not, yeah. Yeah, he did not think that he was not a cool guy. And now they're back, and they're back with people like Peter Thiel. And the reason why I want to bring up Peter Thiel is that he uh, is one of these 
Silicon Valley capitalist who has truly emerged as a Lex Luthor type character, right? This guy yeah. uh, was an early investor in Facebook, co-founder of PayPal, Palantir Technologies, and he has a, you know, he's a billionaire, uh, net worth of 2.5. And now he just, uh, he does a, a, he basically just has a, some capital, he's a private hedge fund, a venture capital uh, firm kind of guy. He is also single-handedly responsible, arguably, for shutting down Gawker uh, because in the earlier part of the decade, of the last decade, Gawker wrote an article that said, hey, look, we have it from credible sources that Peter Thiel is gay. And he... Yes, that's right. He filed... He was just so... Uh, humiliated by the fact that someone would ever be gay in San Francisco, which is notoriously <laughs> notoriously a sinful thing to be in San Francisco. And so he yeah. uh, wanted to do some suit against them, uh, didn't work. And then later, it turns out, he funded lawsuits against Gawker for invasion of privacy to try to get them shut down. And he did. He brought them down into bankruptcy. Um, and he used a lawyer in LA to fund Hulk Hogan's lawsuit, basically. He allowed Hulk Hogan to do this lawsuit. That's right. Completely pro bono. That's right. Uh, so that Hulk Hogan could sue Gawker uh, for them publishing a, an article of him getting cucked, I think was what it was. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. It was very funny because Hulk Hogan. It was his. It was Hulk Hogan's sex tape, and you. And it was funny because even in the sex tape, I believe he he even said, "Yeah, brother," but like to to some extent, like it wasn't. It was. It was truly. It it truly was a Hulk Hogan sex tape. Right. <laughs> it was undeniably so he, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, the jury awarded Hulk Hogan forty million dollars for uh, invasion of privacy, emotional distress infringement of personality rights uh, and Gawker soon announced that it was permanently closing in 2016. Uh, so he said his, his financial support of Gawker of Hulk Hogan's case as quote, one of the greater philanthropic things I've, that I've done. Jesus. Uh, yeah. Peter Thiel, he is, he is an absolute freak. Uh, and in a weird way, he is the logical conclusion to, uh, you know, the, the, the Brooklyn shitheads we were just talking about. Right. He is what happens if, if you take that to the nth degree. It's just instead of being in charge of, like, one single, like, uh, mismanaged, mis, uh, uh, falling-apart brownstone in Crown Heights, uh, it's, uh, hi, uh, I am a billionaire who is sucking blood out of younger people so their new blood will course through my old body and keep it young and virile and now i am uh, the owner of a of, of manufacturing process that is by the way like again again the legal like how that's possibly legal or whatever is amazing considering all the I mean, like it's. I mean, look, I, I mushrooms are great. I haven't done them in a long time, you know personally. He's not going to just use them for good things. Just, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's all. Yeah, yeah. like he will not I mean, just use yeah. it for antidepression. 
You can also just grow your own. Yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that same that same hippie household that I lived in. Uh, one of the guys in there, his name was, and uh, he yo he like, snitches uh, get stitches, buddy. <laughs> he he uh. You he better bleep that was, name out. <laughs> dude, I might. It was, dude. It was so funny because that house was disgusting. But he bought mushroom psilocybin spores online, which you can do. It's legal to buy the spores. And then I just have this very distinct memory of him uh, lysoling a, a, a cardboard box, like an Amazon box, and then duct taping like kitchen dishwashing gloves. So he made his own little sterile box. Hell yeah. And then he... It, he injected the psilocybin spores into a like a, a substrate, which was like basically made out of like rice. And I watched the mushrooms grow. You know, I watched them grow and everything. You know, you can you could do this shit on your own. You don't need Peter Thiel to make terrible ones for you. So Peter Thiel uh, wrote in for the Cato Institute uh, one time uh, that he no longer believes that freedom and democracy are compatible. <laughs> he also he also he also while he was at Come Stanford on, man. while he was at Stanford Law School he also published an article uh called The Diversity Myth Multiculturalism and the Politics of Intolerance at Stanford Stanford the book is critical of political correctness and multiculturalism in higher education and alleges that it has diluted academic rigor So what oh yeah he's a cool guy. He's, a, he's a very cool guy uh he is also has we, we may also know him from a few other endeavors that he's attempted to do. I believe that Peter Thiel is one of the people who was really into taking doing blood transfusions of younger people to live longer. And yeah, blood bags. Yeah, blood bags. Yeah, and he also really was supportive of building a libertarian utopia on a, an artificial island in the Pacific, uh, which is literally just a plot like a, a plot from Superman one. Like that is Lex Luthor's. <laughs> That's what Lex Luthor wants also, to do. Yeah. Also, what do you talk about? Build an island. Just use the Great Garbage Patch and like smash it all together there you in go. the middle of the Pacific Ocean. There you you know. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, he is the one who is going to be profiting off of making mushrooms legal, and not your roommate. And. <laughs> That's cool. That's what I love about capitalism is that the best people win. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I don't know. What do you guys? Uh, anything else? Uh, should we uh, call it call it quits, guys? I think I think that was on. Honestly, I it's 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 a uh, you know it's a complicated endeavor. But I think if anything people take away from this, it's just like the gap between Peter Thiel and two Brooklyn shitheads. It's narrower than you think. Yeah, it's not it, it's not that big of a gap. Uh, all right, I got I got to uh, let, let's 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 get out of here, guys. Um, all right, uh, bye 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 bye. You guys. All right, see you all yeah. next week. Thanks for okay, listening we'll to Ponzi Scream. Rate, review, okay. and subscribe. Bye. That's right. Oh, yeah, that yeah. That's right. Okay, what Gabe said. Okay, bye. Bye bye.